Hello and welcome to Peach Pod, a Georgia politics podcast. My name is Kyle Hayes and I am your host. And on today's podcast, we are going to share with you another one of our candidate conversations, this time with Louisa Wakeman. She's a Democratic candidate for the State House in House District 43. And Louisa's race is in that group of State House races that is likely to determine which party controls the Georgia House of Representatives following the 2020 elections. So we talked with Louisa about her views on the issues and about how she would contrast herself with her opponent, incumbent Republican Representative Sharon Cooper. So let's go ahead and turn it over to my discussion with Louisa Wakeman. And for those who may be wondering, me and the rest of the podcast crew will be back with our regular chat show soon. Now that legislative session has ended and we're in this full sprint towards the 2020 elections, we are working on coverage around that. But for now, we'll share with you my conversation with Louisa Wakeman. All right. Joining the podcast is Louisa Wakeman, a Democratic candidate in House District 43. Louisa, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Kyle. Uh, Thanks for having me. Before we dive into some issues, you know, there's a lot of tough stuff going on in Georgia right now. But before we dive in on all of these issues, can you tell us a little bit about your background and what led to you running for the state house? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I am a mom of two young adult kids. Uh, My husband and I, we raised them in the district and they both graduated from the public schools. I am a flight attendant with Delta Airlines. I've been there almost 30 years. Uh, Time flies, literally. (laughs) Uh, And during the Great Recession, I went to nursing school. Um, I pursued a second degree um, and worked uh, both jobs uh, as a flight attendant and as a registered nurse because uh, I wanted to step up for my family um, together with my husband to Uh, make sure that our family had economic and financial stability. I got involved in politics when um, Donald Trump became the nominee uh, for the Republican Party for president. I was horrified by his actions and words, and I knew I needed to get more involved. I, uh, you know, was raised at the knee of my grandfather, listening to stories of World War II. Um, my family's originally from Holland, and uh, my grandparents were in the Dutch resistance, and I grew up with the stories of what happens when people look away. Uh, I knew we weren't there, but I knew I needed to get involved. So I um, joined some local groups and organizations. I took a training on how to be a, a campaign volunteer, uh, was volunteer precinct captain for John Ossoff's campaign for Congress, um, went to the Capitol with a nonpartisan group called Moms Demand Action that advocates for common sense gun laws, and uh, spoke with my representative about voting against the guns on campus legislation. Um, my daughter was a student at KSU, and uh, she was living in off-campus housing at the time, and uh, When I spoke with my representative, she said she had already traded her vote for something else, and I was shocked. I felt like she had treated my kids' safety and the safety of the kids in the district for something much less important. And so uh, in 2018, 
I ran against a 22-year Republican incumbent who hadn't had a challenger since 2010, because if not me, who? And came 792 votes away from winning. And I'm running again because we have a job to finish. We're going to finish what we started in 2018. So that's a little bit about my background. So so let's dive into some issues here. So cities across Georgia and across the country have been the site of demonstrations against police misconduct in recent weeks following the deaths of George Floyd and Rayshard Brooks, along with others at the hands of police. What message are you hearing from demonstrators who have taken to the streets in recent weeks protesting police brutality? And for you, what policy message does that translate to in the legislature? What needs to be done in Atlanta in response to these demonstrations? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, important, an important conversation, um, long overdue. Um, and we need to have these conversations as a community, as a state, and as a country. Um, this issue is so overarching and systemic. We need to do more than have conversations, though. It's time for action. Uh, one of the things that I would support um, is the Justice for All package that was introduced in the state legislature um, that addresses uh, some of the issues uh And one of those, uh, part of that package was the hate crimes bill um, that was passed in the Georgia legislature. Um, It's a a win. It's a small step in the right direction. Um, You know, it's, you know, there are lots of ideas that we need to tackle from various levels. Um, You know, not an end-all be-all, but, uh, you know, if you look at the Cobb police force, uh, uh, they, they hadn't had a raise in 10 years until recently. And, um, you, you know, there's a, a big expense to training a police officer. It's a very specialized training. And Cobb was losing uh, police officers to other counties that had better pay, better working conditions. And um, what we need to look at is is making sure that the training is used most effectively so that uh, we don't have police officers, um, at, you know, responding to an elementary school uh, altercation, uh, you know, as, as an armed police officer, we, that we don't have an armed officer coming to a mental health crisis situation. We need to invest in our community um, with social workers and mental health counselors um, so that we're responding with the right people who can help situations and not escalate them uh, when, when, uh, when that's appropriate. So you and I are speaking a few days following the conclusion of the 2020 legislative session, and this was a session where the legislature adopted a budget that cuts nearly a billion dollars in funding for K-12 education and $2.2 billion total, while not adopting any significant options to raise state revenues. All of this was done in response to the recession caused by the pandemic. But if you had been in the legislature over the last couple of weeks, what kind of budget would you have advocated for? And do you think that a budget in today's context, in the context of the pandemic and the recession, should that budget have done more to raise state revenues? 
Yeah, absolutely. So in the end, uh, a budget uh, talks about values, right? When uh, you have an unlimited budget, you don't have to be uh, so careful at uh, where you allocate your dollars. I mean, as a family, uh, when I when we set our budget, uh, we set our priorities for our family, and that is investing in our kids and their futures, making sure that they're going to be successful and independent. Um, when you look at how the legislature allocated uh, limited resources, cutting $1 billion from our public schools is um, irresponsible, short-sighted, uh, my kids went to, uh, you know, went to the public schools and their, almost their entire K through 12, you know, educational experience was under austerity cuts. Uh, it was only the last uh, two years where our public school funding formula was fully funded. And we're looking at possibly another generation of students uh, going to school under austerity cuts. Meaning parents are going to be selling gift wrap paper, um, cookie dough, uh, you know, school fundraisers. And, um, you know, we need a legislature who values our teachers, our students, and uh, what that brings to our state. Uh, an educated workforce uh, brings, you know, jobs, quality jobs and companies that are looking for an educated workforce. So it's, it, I feel that it's very short-sighted. Additionally, there was money cut from our health care budget, which makes no sense during a pandemic. And uh, yeah, there, there were ways that revenue could have been raised. Um, you know, one of the suggestions, and there was negotiating going back and forth, but one of the suggestions was to raise that a tobacco tax to the national average. It wasn't even, you know, raising the tobacco tax to the highest level, but just the national average. And that would have brought in between six and seven hundred million dollars. There were other uh, ways that revenue could have been raised. But in the end, our kids are going to pay for short-sighted, um, a, a short-sighted budget. And there were, it was a a partisan uh, vote on the budget. So, yeah, I I, I think uh, this is something that voters will certainly uh, consider when they go to the polls in November. So this year's budget is just the beginning of a long conversation about helping Georgia's economy recover from the pandemic. Budget cuts made in the wake of the Great Recession put a drag on the state's economy. We underfunded the education funding formula for a decade. We still spend less per person in state dollars than we did in 2008. And state jobs are not the source of stable middle-class jobs that they once were. What needs to be done to help people recover economically from this COVID recession? And do you think the approach needs to be different from the long recovery that Georgia experienced following the Great Recession? Yeah, I mean, so these are two different um, economic crises than the Great Recession. The Great Recession was, you know, a failure of economy, um, the mortgage lending. Uh, there were mechanisms that uh, needed to be fixed. The current crisis is coming because a virus and 
the economy was bumbling along before the COVID crisis hit. And, you know, what we're seeing is that, you know, the states and countries who have had strong responses uh, to the um, COVID crisis, they have been able to slowly reopen their economies and uh, the economies bounce back. So, you know, we need to think about what our response is to the COVID crisis and uh, whether we can find ways to you know, shorten the outbreak. And one of those ways is by uh, following the CDC guidelines, you know, making sure that people aren't out in the community spreading the virus, have leaders that model good behavior by, uh, by you know, wearing masks, practicing social distancing, you know, those are important things to, you know, address the economic downturn. And, you know, number two, we need to make sure um, that we provide as much stability to the economy as possible. Um, we need to make sure that we have loans and grants to small businesses. We need to make sure that they're poised to come back when the economy resumes. And we need to make sure we don't cut things that are investments in the state budget, like education, like we talked about, that will affect us for the long term. So those are three things that uh, I would suggest. So let's talk a little bit about the public health side of this. Georgia's return to setting weekly records for the number of new coronavirus cases, and this prompted Governor Kemp to extend the state's public health emergency, extend some restrictions on businesses, and extend a shelter-in-place order for people who are medically vulnerable. Can you give us your view of the state's response to the pandemic so far? And as we watch the number of cases increase in Georgia and also in other states in our region, how should the state government respond moving forward? Yeah, so, you know, when Governor Kemp decided to reopen Georgia after, you know, waiting, you know, really long to close businesses, uh, once or ask people to shelter in place. Once the businesses started reopening, it, he wasn't following CDC guidelines. He wasn't even following the president's guidelines uh, for reopening. So we need to look at uh, the data, make sure that we're responding with scientific facts uh, to a healthcare crisis. One of the problems that we've seen is that there's a mess of data in uh, the Georgia Department of Public Health, what they've been sending out. Um, there have been lots of experts that have been on Twitter and uh, social media and uh, journalists who've been taking deep dives into data that's been published because uh, there's been an erosion of public trust in what is being published on the Department of Public Health website. You know, one of the at one point, uh, data was published uh, in non-sequential uh, date order um, to make the graphs look like they were trending down. Um, and those uh, eroding public trust during a health crisis is not great. So I would love for uh, our governor and uh, leaders to, you know, work to gain the public trust, uh, model good behavior, and, uh, you know, make sure that people that are having to work are protected. You know, I, I'm really grateful for businesses who have stepped up to protect their employees 
like uh, Costco and um, my own employer, Delta Airlines, who um, are requiring customers to wear masks uh, so that they can protect um, employees and other companies. Uh, one thing that the General Assembly did uh, in, in the last few days of the uh, session was they passed legislation uh, to protect businesses um, and healthcare providers from lawsuits filed by people who have contracted coronavirus since March. And uh, in that, it included senior care facilities who were already under scrutiny. I think that was irresponsible. So I think uh, we need uh, leaders who understand science and will uh, set good policies and model good behavior. So the pandemic has also highlighted inequities in our health system. Prior to the pandemic, the state had some of the worst metrics on chronic health conditions, on maternal mortality. And for those who lose their jobs, many will also lose their health coverage too, putting health services even farther out of reach for more Georgians. What does the state need to do to improve healthcare access? There was a lot of discussion in uh, in the legislature over the budget um, on on healthcare issues. In the end, the easiest thing would, would be to decrease the coverage gap by expanding Medicaid. Like you said, the maternal mortality rates are the highest in the country. Uh, we go back and forth between us and Texas at uh, having the worst. Uh, this dispro- disproportionately affects mothers of, co- of color, black and brown women, and uh, 60% of these deaths are preventable. Uh, and one of the things that was suggested was to expand Medicaid coverage for moms t- to one year. Um, you know, there was there were you know back and forth discussions, and ultimately. It was expanded for six months, but, uh, you know, one year is what these moms need for coverage. Uh, That was clearly stated from the beginning. If we expanded Medicaid, uh, we would bring in $9 of federal dollars uh, for every $1 that Georgia invests. That would be tax dollars that we have already put into the system. And um, let's be clear that the reason we haven't expanded Medicaid is for political reasons. Uh, You know, there was a a big effort to implode the Affordable Care Act. In the end, uh, it's it's hurting the people of Georgia. Poll after poll suggests that Georgians support Medicaid expansion and uh, support uh, having the Affordable Care Act. So. We need to make sure that uh, we are putting the people of Georgia first over uh, these partisan uh, issues. So another healthcare issue here: last year the state passed last year the state passed a ban on abortions beginning at six weeks before many women even know that they are pregnant. That law has been held up in court, and it may be appealed to the Supreme Court if it continues to be blocked by lower courts in a forthcoming ruling that's expected soon. What is your view of this abortion ban law that was passed last year? And do you have concerns about it ultimately going into effect? Well, I mean, 
as, as far as it going into effect, it was um, unconstitutional when it was passed. Let's be clear, it was a, uh, you know, a special interest push to uh, to have taxpayers um, send a bill to test the Supreme Court when uh, there is discussion on saving dollars for the budget um, in healthcare. Uh, the same people pushed through this ban that they knew was unconstitutional and just wanted it to be pushed up to the Supreme Court with your tax dollars. At the same time, the maternal mortality crisis wasn't being addressed. So rather than address, uh, you know, moms and babies who are truly suffering in the state, uh, the focus was uh, pushed on passing an abortion ban. Yeah, it, it, it's not going to hold up and uh, we're going to make sure that uh, we have enough votes in the legislature coming up so that nothing like this that can hurt the women of our state ever passes again. So let's look forward to your race here in the fall. Your opponent, State Representative Sharon Cooper, she's taken a bit of a different path compared to some of her Republican colleagues in the last couple of years. Uh, She carried a measure that extended Medicaid coverage for women after they give birth. You know, that extension, as you mentioned, was six months. She also chaired that study committee that recommended the year-long extension. And she opposed the abortion ban that was passed passed last year. Tell us and, and really tell the voters about the biggest differences between you and uh, Representative Cooper. Yeah. Um, so, you know, regarding the abortion ban, she didn't really oppose it because it started in her committee that she chairs. Uh, she chairs a very powerful committee, the um, House Health and Human Services Committee. She had the absolute ability if she didn't uh, want that bill to go, go up for a vote. She had the absolute ability to have it die in her committee. But instead, she called it up and, uh, you know, is responsible for it coming to a vote. She also, uh, you know, had a, a committee on um, maternal mortality uh, crisis. Uh, if you watch the um, you know, hearings from there, a big part of the hearing was spent on, you know, debating on whether there was a way to make the data look better for Georgia so that uh, Georgia didn't really fall at the bottom. And uh, meanwhile, there were many women in the room that wanted to testify about how bad it really is on the front lines. And uh, a lot of people, you know, who were there wanting to testify didn't ever get the opportunity because they spent so much time on, you know, discussing why the data can be manipulated um, when it's somebody's life. Um, It's more than data. So, you know, just wanting to clarify those two things, but, uh, you know, one of the big things, you know, my campaign is a grassroots campaign. I am part of this community and um, I'm stepping up to serve my community. My opponent has uh, been funded by special interest groups. And her last two disclosures before the 2018 election had zero contributions from inside the district. 
and so you know it it is a big contrast. Um, I have a lot of bipartisan support uh, because you know people are ready for you know real change. Um, so we've talked through a bunch of challenging issues today, but is there anything else you'd like to touch on before we go? Sure. Um, you know, uh, first of all, I should say my website is electlouisa.com, L-U-I-S-A. And, um, you know, this is an important election, particularly with the census happening right now. Uh, please, everybody, um, fill out your census form. But the legislature that we elect um, that will serve in 2021 uh, will decide the political boundaries that will affect Georgia's uh, political landscape for the next 10 years. The Republicans have vowed to make this process uh, non-transparent and partisan. And uh, we need to make sure that uh, we elect people who are committed to making this process open and uh, nonpartisan so that voters are electing their representatives and not representatives electing their voters. So I hope that, uh, you know, I've answered everybody's questions. um, you can get involved with the campaign by going to my website. Again, it's electlisa.com and there's a contact us. And if you want to get involved or support the campaign, there are lots of ways to do that. All right. Well, Louisa Wakeman is a Democratic candidate for state house in House District 43. Uh, Louisa, thanks so much for joining the podcast. Thank you so much, Kyle. I really appreciate it. That's our show for today. If you like what you heard, subscribe to Peach Pod. Thanks as always to our fantastic interns, Olivia Bauer, Peyton Childers, and Kelly Dobso for their help researching this episode. Until next time, take care, y'all.